everyone. Welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we dump all of the internet's wrestling content into the randomizer. We fire it up. It selects a show for us to watch at random. And it could be from anywhere, anytime. And this one is, we're going back. We're going back in time to April 10th, 1982 for a television show in in addition of championship wrestling from florida i'm so glad we got to go back to some cwf yeah absolutely that was one of the most enjoyable watches that we had was that in season two yes uh, that, yeah that it episode was. of championship wrestling from florida i believe was it 1985 1986 somewhere around there um it was actually surprising if you remember when we did that episode it was so good. Obviously, the podcast was so good. Come God, on. That's the but rock the, solid. <laughs> but the uh, the episode of television that we watched was so good. And then we sort of realized as we were going through that it was actually uh, towards the end of the run of that TV show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the randomizer loves to take us to the dying days of a territory. And uh... Yes, January 19th, 1985 was that episode, which had, among many other things, the greatness of Percy Pringle, um, the side-by-side comparison of Jesse Barr and, oh, and Rick Flair. Flair. Oh, the bookends <laughs> were official, officially on the same show. Yeah, so uh, that is season two, episode Rick nine. Rick Rude being hilarious and, and awesome. <laughs> yes, uh, so you can go back in the archives of the free feed which you are listening to right now and check that out if you hadn't uh here though 1982 if you're listening in linear fashion almost 40 years to the day uh oh yeah so it took place (laughs) didn't even notice that (laughs) yeah that's wild slash we are old because we were both alive although i was less than a year old Uh, we were both alive when this happened but yes nwa championship wrestling from florida Uh, we get Prime Gordon Soli, although I will have one thing that I'll mention with Gordon that was just so weird. He had one tick during one match that he just couldn't kick. Yeah, Gordon looking like a million bucks uh, in the studio where, yeah, this is this is studio wrestling. So you've got the desk where Gordon Soli is sitting, joined by... A cavalcade of characters that we will uh, go through in this <laughs> so episode. Fun. And uh, uh, we should mention though that it's in a studio, but this is not the tiny shoebox of a studio that a lot of other wrestling uh, studio-based TV shows would happen in. While it's obvious this isn't an arena, it has when they go to the ring, it has a bit more of an arena-type feel than you would get, say, in the studios of WTBS. Yeah, and it was a. Uh, uh, yeah, Gordon Soley wearing a uh, black and white checkered jacket that was fantastic. Very as one does. Very in big in eighties. Yeah, so he looking like a million bucks. Gordon, Soley. is it a jacket? Is it a couch? Is it wallpaper? <laughs> all valid options. It's it's all known as the right choice, and uh, <laughs> definitely of the times. Gordon welcomes us. The voice of Gordon Soley welcomes us to the show as already in ring. We have. Sweet Brown Sugar defending the Florida Television Championship against Dory Funk Jr. The yeah. match already in progress. Yeah, I, I I was not expecting, I guess I should have been, but I was not expecting Dory Funk Jr. And I sure as heck was not expecting 
a title match involving Dory Funk Jr. to be joined in progress as the opener of the show, but that's exactly what we have here. Gordon Sully sets the scene, tells us that we are three to four minutes in. We also learn that Dory Funk Jr. is the international champion, whatever that is or isn't. I had flashbacks to the big gold belt oh. and a unification <laughs> match at a clash of the champions we reviewed earlier on in season three. Uh, there's also a couple other noteworthy things about this match uh, before we actually get into the action, such as it is referee Tommy young in his prime is incredible here. And then in the corner of Dory funk jr is a healed David Von Eric interfering. Wow. This is so I I I didn't realize this was going to be a heel David Von Erich out there when we're told he's out there with Dory Funk Jr. I'm like, hmm, that's weird. And yeah, <laughs> later on in this match, he starts laying in some boots and throwing the guy around. I'm like, I'm like, this is crazy. A heel and he's got like he's mean mugging for the camera, David Von Erich. Yeah. It was really, really strange. <laughs> so we, weird. We join the action with uh, Dory Funk Jr., as he is wont to do, having an arm bar on Sweet Brown Sugar. Uh, Sugar tries to punch out, hits a sunset flip, only a two count, and then hits several great drop kicks. And we get a few glimpses of Sweet Brown Sugar here throughout three seasons of this podcast. And I always am like, oh, yeah, this guy's better than I remember. This guy's a good wrestler. Yeah, uh, some great drop kicks, a headbutt. And uh, Sweet Brown Sugar's on fire to, to start the start the show off. And Funk then lays in a couple of his big forearms, which we're we're huge fans of here on the podcast. Is yep, Dory Funk Jr. forearms. The European uppercuts. He's also great here, you know, old, even though he isn't quite as old. He's Dory Funk, so he always looks the same age. Um, old Dory Funk Jr., veteran, lures Sweet Brown Sugar into the corner, hits him with the knee, hits a bunch of Euro, uh, European uppercuts. Um, but yeah, we get a, we get a flying cross body by sweet brown sugar, but Dory throws him out to the floor. And that's when dastardly David Von Eric springs into action. He body slams sweet brown sugar on the floor. And then, <laughs> and then he goes, throws him back inside to have Dory turn around, throw him right back outside. And David lays the boots to him. Heal David Von Eric. I was not emotionally prepared as someone who <laughs> no. grew up as uh, uh, a kid who idolized the Von Erics, as I've said before, the two shows that we got on TV when I was a very young child in New Orleans. Uh, we got Mid-South, obviously, and then we got World Class. So I grew up uh, idolizing the Von Erics. Sadly, David was, you know, I really didn't see David. You know, he, he passed away before I got a chance to see him. Uh, in real time, but still a heel Von Eric uh, so that isn't Fritz like in the 50s is very strange. Back in the ring, Dory hits the pile driver, but Sweet Brown Sugar kicks out. Huge backdrop by Dory, and we get a one minute remaining warning. Yeah, so apparently the TV title here in the Florida territory was similar to other television championships in that. I'm assuming it was a 10-minute time limit. Yeah, it must have been 10. Uh, double underhook souple gets a two-count. Uh, right hand by Brown Sugar. Dory takes him down, puts on his spinning toe hold, which was his finishing move here. But Sweet Brown Sugar is able to punch his way free as the bell rings. 
time limit expired. Yeah, this was fun action for what we saw. Um, you know, we didn't get the full match. We got whatever the last six minutes or so, but a younger, you can never say young Dory Funk Jr. Cause mm. I don't believe he was born. I just believe he appeared on earth at 50 years old. Um, but a younger Dory Funk Jr. Doing what he does. Sweet Brown Sugar throwing some great drop kicks. This was a fun way to start the show. Also want to mention how much I enjoyed Tommy Young as referee. One of his patented moves where uh, there's a pin near the ropes, but you know it's not being broken up because no one has their feet on the ropes. So he will slide out to the floor and count on the apron from the floor. That man's a pro referee. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, what What's fun... You know, watching a match like this is to, you know, remember we're in 1982 here. So what other shows in 1982 have we seen? And we look around, we saw some of those WWF shows from yeah, 82. That's the closest comp, that we 1982 saw it, WWF show. And we had uh, the uh, AWA Super Sunday. That was like 83. So like we're in yeah. this, we're, we're, so we're seeing a, a few different territories and and thinking back to the AWA versus the WWF versus what we're seeing in Florida, uh, what we would see in, in Mid-Atlantic a couple years later, uh, each territory really did have its own flavor of wrestling. And it was really uh, apparent here how if you, if you saw Florida wrestling, how could you be a fan of anything else in 1982? Oh yeah. No, it's compared to the, the U S TV that we've seen from other companies from this, you know, late seventies into early eighties time period, the, the wrestling itself. And again, you can even go into that, uh, that 1985 or 1986, that episode we mentioned earlier, that was great in its own way as well. Uh, but yeah, this is miles ahead already uh, of that uh, that All Star Wrestling show from the same year that we reviewed. Gordon Soley is joined by Barbara Clary. Yes, a woman named Barbara Clary who is, seems far too normal for this professional wrestling business. Is she here. is a professional broadcaster for her segment called Take Five with Barbara, and <laughs> uh, I googled take five with Barbara Clary and, and like it, it's a known thing. Like this was a big, this is a, a recurring segment for years here. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. She says that we'll see a video with dusty roads and we'll also see, we'll get news on the moth festival. I believe she said, I thought it was uh, the mall festival. <laughs> I'm going with the moth festival. That sounds far more deserving of a documentary on Netflix. Um, <laughs> Gordon, we also, you know, as you noted, he has a great checkered sports jacket with the CWF logo, and he has, for some reason, a big trophy next to him. Don't know why. We come back from commercial. We're with Barb, and we have film, which we've seen a, a brief clip of this before on a different show that we've reviewed, but here we get a bit of a longer take of Dusty Rhodes singing back up and I think playing Cowbell with Willie Nelson and his band as they play the famous song, Whiskey River. This is incredible. This was nuts. Like, this is a big Willie Nelson show. Yes. And 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 there's a bunch of, like, people on stage, like, playing instruments. And then Dusty Rhodes there singing some backup with Willie. <laughs> yes. Whiskey River. Unbelievable. What a, was... what a star Dusty Rhodes was to, to be part of this whole thing yes and he was on tour hanging out with willie nelson they were good friends and yeah it, it you forget um i guess if you weren't around during this time period or if you didn't really understand the territory days 
just how big of a deal in certain parts of the country Dusty Rhodes was. And this this was a clear example of that. And it wasn't just parts of the country because we go from there to, honestly, one of my favorite things I think we've seen on any show that we've reviewed for this podcast just because it's so surreal. It's Dusty Rhodes in Japan being interviewed by a New Japan announcer. He is standing in front of the New Japan ring. There are young lions working out in the ring behind him, doing moves, practicing behind him, as Dusty Rhodes is just going off talking about how the young wrestlers behind him are trying their hardest to fill Inoki's shoes, but they can't, just like no one in Florida can take my place. Uh, And then he, uh, I don't know how much you're going to play of this or not, but man, let's just talk about his look. Uh, that, uh, that hat, it's like a fedora. Is just He's the coolest man on the planet. As I said, Dusty is still on world tour, and while in Tokyo, Japan, he had these comments to make. He's famous, a famous of Japan, American wrestler, in the Madison Square Garden tournament, American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. You know, traveling all over the country, the people of the United States of America, and especially Florida, have wondered about the American dream for the past six months, touring all over the world. You see behind me right here, the young generation of wrestlers right here in Nagoya, Japan, training to fill the shoes of the great Anoki. Anoki's great shoes, they are not ready to fill them shoes, just like in the state of Florida, in America, in the United States. Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, is tower power. There is nobody, the fastest gun in the West. There's always a new man coming to get the fastest gun, and there has not been one yet to take the American dream. I'm coming home. There's been a lot of talk that Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, has left Florida, has went to Texas, has went to Georgia, has went to New York, went all over. Florida is my home, remains my home. Now, Chasing Rick Flair, all over the country, it's finally come down to this. Everybody hears that at any time, Rick Flair can be beat. Well, they know with me in any arena, at any time, in any building, it's going to happen. Two times world heavyweight champion. Only man to beat Harley Race two times. So I'll tell you where I'm coming from right now. Dwarf Funk Jr., Hindu Nagasaki, anybody in Florida that thinks that because I'm way across the ocean, Boogie, because I'm way across the world winning tournaments, that I'm ready to go someplace else, I'm coming home. You get ready for it. You tell your children. You tell the black, green, red, white, yellow, all the purple. Get around the TV set. The dream's coming home. And let me tell you something, Dory Funk Jr., and you remember this, Rick Flair. I'm going to leave you with this. This concert is not over to the fat lady sing. You understand what I said? Yeah, this was super cool to see uh, the Dusty knowing and, and, and the the announcers knowing that this was going to be shown in America. Yes. So trying to uh, speak English with the... Uh, with the interview as well and yeah this was uh you know th- again just when you thought you know oh hey dusty's a big star hanging out with willie nelson no <laughs> he's also like touring the world as a professional wrestler so yeah he's uh he's he's in japan doing a tour and he calls out rick flair the heavyweight champion he's talks about winning tournaments all around the world and then he's gonna come back home to florida i also love how 
Like we see the the workout happening in the background, but it's it's close up enough on Dusty that you can't really see what's going on. And then we get a couple seconds of the the camera further back, and you can see the wrestlers working out in this darkened arena. And it's just this really cool little just few second snapshot of something that you would otherwise never get to see if you were watching New Japan Pro Wrestling somehow in 1982. You didn't get to see footage like this. So very, very cool. We then get a mall or moth festival recap with Sheriff Joe joining the show. Oh my God. This segment, however long you think it went 10 minutes longer than that. There were so many awards and commendations. There were phrases that were not said in a, in a intentionally damaging way, but talking about um, other abled people in terminology that would never be okay now um it was the name of the charity <laughs> that was the weirdest thing about it just yeah. not okay but different again, times different times. it's 1982 yeah. it's a different world um but yes we have uh deputy sheriff howard godwin uh in the ring wrestling with mike graham Mike Graham uh, it, wrestled Deputy Howard, who is a legit <laughs> cop who is there doing fundraising. Yeah, this this was wild. The uh, the guy there, the sheriff that's there says he put on a good showing. We're proud of him for wrestling. Then we have very very tall sheriff Chuck Cobb, uh, an unnamed wrestler, gets behind him. He's so tall that he can't choke him out. Uh, without getting it on the rope. So he stands on, I believe it was on the first or second rope, puts this Chuck Cobb sheriff character in, in a sleeper and Chuck Cobb immediately like collapses like a ton of bricks. It's like he melted. He goes to sleep. And of course, because it's the eighties, the wrestler then wakes up the man who he put to sleep. I was so happy to see uh, whoever this wrestler was take the time to gently wake him up instead of slapping him <laughs> on the back. He was showing you the, uh, I've never seen the nice way to wake someone up from an 80s sleeper. <laughs> so this, this was this, this was good to see. We, uh, it, this does not end. No, we, awards galore. We've got keys well, to this. We, <laughs> before we get to the awards and the keys to the city, we get the most 1982 looking footage ever. Is this weird static shot that looks like it would be a security camera, but security cameras didn't really exist in that way back then. But it's the Chamber of Commerce Parade with Eddie Graham, who runs the territory. He's just glad handing with kids. Then he's here in studio, and someone from the Avon Park Rotary Club gives him a key to the city. Um, there yeah. are more. The Rotary more Club, coming, yeah, the Rotary Club uh, raised six thousand uh, dollars. We see the Rotary Club uh, giving away memberships and, and awards galore, certificates of appreciation to a young pre-Magnum TA Terry Allen. I'm frantically googling what's a Rotary Club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Rotary clubs were a big deal. It's like oh. a business chamber of commerce sort of thing. This I is guess. a big deal. This was, a but big in deal. the eighties, I feel like you always heard about rotary clubs and now you hear about them about as often as you hear about rotary phones. No, I always lumped them in with like Knights of Columbus and other stuff, <laughs> yes. like places VFW where Halls. I would, yes, VFW places where I would randomly see punk rock shows and places where I would re- see indie shows. Yes, yes. Indie wrestling shows. So the, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of punk rock and indie show crossover there for, uh, for that. But I, I group it in, with 
with that. But yeah, Rotary Clubs handing out awards. This segment went on a long time. It was at legitimately at least 10 minutes. We have some man named Keith Albritton who shows up and gives an award to Mike Graham. I guess so. I guess it was Mike Graham that choked out the sheriff. I don't know. Uh, he says he was nervous, but he treated the sheriff gently. So maybe if he gets pulled over at some point, the sheriff will have leniency on him. We go back to the ring for Andre Peltzier versus Kendo Nagasaki with J.J. Dillon as yes! his manager. Another J.J. Dillon appearance also slowly climbing up the power rankings of most appearances <laughs> on this podcast. He is. J.J. Dillon. My God. It's another look here for J.J. as he's not as old as he would be a few years later. Clearly not as young as he was in 1969. That's over on, that. on the uh, bonus content. Yeah. yeah. So we watch two J.J. Dillon matches in one episode of television. Uh, the one thing I noted here is that with this mustache on, for whatever reason, in the haircut, he looked like a dead ringer for Andy Richter. Ha, yes. <laughs> I can, there's definitely, I can see that. Uh, this was just a Nagasaki squash match total beat down here. Um, Gordon it's... was great. Gordon Sully talking about how Peltier looks athletic, but he may not have the international experience of Kendo Nagasaki. And then he's talking about the strange expression on Nagasaki's face. Um yeah, this was just, uh, uh, you know, it, it was an extended murder. Uh, we we have, after the match, uh, Kendo wins with a hip toss after several jobs. Well, yeah, first a standing kick to the head, almost like a super kick. Yes. Uh, and then a hip toss judo throw for the three count. JJ then joins Gordon Soley over at the desk. He's uh, He's having a tough time getting opponents for Nagasaki. JJ challenges. Mike Graham to wrestle himself. He says Graham made excuses, doesn't isn't showing up. He said Graham. He said he he put down a contract to wrestle Mike Graham today, but Graham couldn't find his tights. I also liked earlier on at the beginning of the promo, he started it by saying, "We've annihilated another body." Yeah, Gordon Soley does not believe that Mike Graham has backed <laughs> down from this challenge whatsoever, uh, and he's right because Mike Graham comes out to the ring. Yeah. JJ, JJ comes out. He takes a swing with the kendo stick, and Graham hits JJ Dillon with the stick, slams him, puts on the figure four, and this is when Kendo Nagasaki comes to break it up, and this turns into a big-time angle here. This is a pure sixer, as Gordon Soli said. Um, we should note how incredible JJ Dillon was here, as yes. we've talked about several other times when he's physically involved as a manager. Uh, he's flailing. He gets put in the figure four. This is so great. Gordon Sully is making fun of JJ Dillon as he's in the figure four, uh, you know, as only JJ or as only a uh, Gordon Sully can. And then yes, Kendo Nagasaki comes in and things get serious and honestly pretty dark. Graham puts the figure four on Kendo Nagasaki, but uh, shots to the throat. And then Nagasaki, with as he sees he's done damage to the throat of Graham, just goes full on choking, choking him out. Graham bleeding, like choking and, with his bare hands. This isn't a rear naked choke. No, he no. has both hands wrapped around the throat of Mike Graham, and he is slowly 
choking the life out of Graham. Graham's eyes are bugging out. Fans are screaming. And then all of a sudden, this was not the best video quality, but it's watchable. You hear Gordon say, oh, no, he's hemorrhaging. And then you start to see Mike Graham bleed from the mouth profusely. He's convulsing, which I think was the word that uh, yes. that, that, that Gordon was looking for. Um, but this was so much more effective of an angle with blood coming out of someone's mouth than Gene Snitsky and Kane. Oh, taboo <laughs> Tuesday here in season three. Go, you can you can listen to us. This is this is the way you do that yes. exact same angle, oh, and so this was good. so good. Uh, some dudes ran in to make the save for Graham finally, but the damage was done, and uh, we didn't just move on. No, from this angle, we didn't just well, move on to the next thing. It was the rest of the show was every wrestler talking about it, and Gordon Soley constantly giving us updates or looking for more updates. Yes, exactly. Um, it, it, and also in the middle of this, as it's obviously a very graphic scene with Mike Graham bleeding from the mouth, convulsing. They go to a static shot just of the logo to get away from this visual. And you hear as they go to commercial, Gordon Soley in very understated fashion say, Lord, I've never seen anything like that. We'll be back. They come back from commercial. Uh, we're back at the desk. Gordon Soley says that Mike Graham is not moving. Uh, he's just not doing well. He's not moving under his own power. It's a bad scene. And then... The phone rings. Yes. He has a he gets a phone call and takes the phone out from under the desk and answers the call. We don't hear what's on the other end, but we see a, a concerned Gordon Soley listening. Yeah, he's basically uh, saying that uh, he's receiving medical care right now and uh, he's going to be on his way to the hospital. This was uh, yeah, this was we can't move on until we get no. more updates on on Mike Graham. All great but it's stuff. Also. It's also great that we don't go straight back to the ring here uh, in the championship wrestling from Florida studio. Gordon Soley, basically they call an audible uh, in terms of the storyline of the show. And they go to footage from North Carolina for Wahoo McDaniel versus Rick Harris. I thought this was another great way of trying to get across just how unplanned and chaotic the last situation was supposed to be. Yeah. We um, can't possibly go to another match at this moment. There's too much going on uh, yes. there. We, we, everyone's focused on Graham. So let's throw it to Charlotte, North Carolina. Stand by a match from another territory, another territory. We just drop in this video of this match. Wahoo McDaniel versus Rick Harris from Charlotte, Bob Cottle and David Crockett on the call. Yes. Uh, and yeah, this was, this was great. Cause it's a completely different studio. It's a completely different, uh, announced team. It's a different territory altogether. You know, you've, you've had to leave the territory while they get their, their stuff together here. Yes. Uh, uh the match itself, really not much. Wahoo squashes Rick Harris. My favorite thing about this by far, uh, Wahoo hits the Tomahawk chop or as, uh, Bob Caller calls it the Tommy Hawk chop, which gave me visions of Chicago Blackhawks mascots. Um, but the sell from Harris on this tomahawk chop that he took was like nothing you've ever seen in your life. He gets hit over the head, top of the head with a chop, and this causes him to leap high into the air and plummet back to earth and the mat below. This was amazing. Wahoo did hit two pretty big 
chops to the chest. Uh, it, real good sound uh, and and a good job by Harris uh, selling that. The first chop, the opening chop of the match, he just went down like a tree. And uh, yeah, it match ends with a chop to the head and Wahoo getting the victory. We then go to more footage this time. It's NWA World Champion Ric Flair. We see him arriving via limo to his private plane. Yes, this was fantastic. And even before it, again, Gordon Soley, a god among men here in his prime, the best to do this particular job as far as the guy who is the studio host uh, and play-by-play guy. We come back from commercial, and he says uh, that he was having dinner with someone just the other night and they were telling him, they were talking with Gordon uh, about just how first class Ric Flair is across the board. And then uh, that's how Gordon pitches to this video, which if you follow us, uh, which I can't imagine you don't, uh, if you don't, you should at wrestle at random on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else, uh, you would have seen a, uh, a gif of this, uh, this video feature from the, uh, the little commuter airport, Ric Flair. Uh, being a rich dude doing rich dude things you never let it be said that rick flair the world's heavyweight champion isn't a generous man we get thousands of letters asking what really makes rick flair tick and for all those thousands of fans out there that don't know it's not just the fact that i'm the most finely conditioned athlete in all of wrestling it's not just the fact that i'm a tremendously wealthy man that I can have any woman I want. It's the fact that I live a lifestyle never, ever equaled by any other man. My man Sam right here. Check out this limousine. My own Learjet. And look what I travel with. The most beautiful women on the face of this earth. This is why the world's heavyweight champion, not Joe Montana, not Burt Reynolds, not turkeys like that, but a real man, the world's heavyweight champion. That's what makes me a little different. Come on up here, ladies. Let this camera get a little better look at you. Jan, darling, I didn't expect to see you for another week or two. Champagne and caviar is ready whenever you are, Rick. Well, thank you very much, darling. Laura, how have you been? You see, ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, this is what makes Ric Flair tick. Woo! Setting the world on fire. Ladies, we better be off. We don't want to keep them waiting in that next city. Take care now. Remember one thing. Diamonds are forever. All right. Despite the national economy being in a deep recession, world heavyweight champion Ric Flair always travels first class. After... Ric Flair and his plane and his ladies. We go back to the st- we we go back to uh, a a another match here where it's uh, I I don't know where this this was taking place. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on that or not, but uh, uh, I did not. This is an arena though. This is I think it's Florida territory, but this is an arena. This is not a studio. Loud yeah, people screaming, know, going crazy. It's we don't know weird... where it's at in Florida, but yeah, definitely like uh, uh, this is. Dick Murdoch taking on the Iron Sheik. <laughs> yes, and it's like the Iron Sheik here in 1982, just before he would go on to beat Bob Backlund uh, to win the WWE 
F title. He's like just a jobber here. Uh, Dick Murdoch is just beating him down. He Murdoch attacks him, beats him down with the Iranian flag. And then we jump ahead in the match and Sheik is beating on him until Murdoch fights back with a perfect drop kick from oh, Dick Murdoch. Awesome. Dick Murdoch, one of the most underrated drop kicks in wrestling. Always great to have that tall, beer belly dude. <laughs> it's it's on the Jim Neidhart uh Mount Rushmore yes. of uh <laughs> of uh guys with big bellies doing drop kicks. <laughs> Jim Neidhart, even although the belly was a bit more defined, a uh, road warrior animal. Sure. Another yeah. <laughs> great underrated standing drop kick guy. But yes, Murdoch with a big drop kick. He had thrown a great Dick Murdoch punch right before that. He's going full Dick Murdoch style jabs, a big right, knocks him down. A great running elbow drop. Oh, huge uh, elevation and drive yes. down on the elbow. Not like, not just like landing with his arm across the guy he's like driving an elbow down this was a great elbow one of the greatest uh lost arts in modern professional wrestling is the ability to do a uh a solid great awesome looking uh elbow drop whether it be of a running or standing variety dick murdoch clearly had no issues with that uh this was great uh then he pulls jj dylan into the ring and this is where I realized, that, oh, yes, it's J.J. Dillon on the call of this match talking about getting pulled in the ring by Dick Murdoch. At least he's talking about it like that's him, unlike Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> yes, talking about the referee when he's the actual guest referee. And never, never <laughs> saying that it's him. It was so strange, and it's popped up on at least three different tapes that we've watched uh, here on the podcast. So, yeah, that, that was a fun little window into seeing Dick Murdoch and, and also seeing what an arena show in the Florida territory looked like. We then go back to the desk and Gordon Sully has a Gordon Sully, excuse me, has a sports note for us. And he says that coach John Heath, who is apparently the Sarasota promoter for the NWA uh, has signed Ric Flair versus Butch Reed for April 17th and did a great job outbidding a bunch of other promoters. I want to see that Flair Butch Reed match. I also wonder if that's the match or if it was on the same loop right around that same time period maybe within a week or so uh, dave Meltzer always talks about going uh to see a butch reed versus rick flair match in florida that up until that point was the best match he had ever seen live yeah i wonder, I wonder if, if this was that match that match or yeah definitely on that loop because that's that's crazy uh yeah i immediately thought of the same thing because i've heard him mention that story so many times i'm yeah. like i wonder if that's that match um, we do go to the ring for Brian Blair versus Bob Russell. Bob Russell looks like a smaller, infinitely less charismatic Dusty Rhodes. Brian Blair looks like B. Brian Blair. Uh, the highlight of this for me was he, he gets a, a side headlock takeover. Gordon Sully then says, direct quote, high headlock takeover, almost a Cornish height. I, I don't know what that means. I listened back four times to see if I somehow missed this. Uh, this is clearly not uh, Dolby surround sound audio that I had here uh, for this show that was posted on YouTube, but it sounded like he said almost a Cornish height. We get a, a airplane spin by Blair. He puts on a Cobra clutch and Russell passes out. Brian Blair is your winner. 
Uh, I couldn't tell if this was a, a, a Cobra Clutch or a Street of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah, like Ted DiBiase Jr., but is it Jr.? You don't allow yeah. Juniors in this promotion. Um, yeah, variation of the Cobra Sleeper is what Gordon Sully calls it. He starts talking about a bunch of different nerves, the carotid artery, and then he makes sure to tell kids, don't try this at home, oh. which... He like got he got serious yes. like like pulling up a chair like get, gather around kids. This was clearly his grandchild had put someone to sleep using this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, gather around kids, youngsters. This is a dangerous hold. I Don't also try this feel like speech. Yeah, like I just think back to as a kid, like with my friends, whenever someone would say "Don't try this at home," this was the surest indication that then a kid was going to try it at home 100 so 100 i'm sure there were dozens of children in the moments immediately after this that put their uh their bro- younger brother uh in a variation of a cobra sleeper so yeah i mean um yeah my go-to was uh the figure four i always loved to throw oh, a figure four on i had a figure four locked on me <laughs> Uh, by uh, my older brother's best friend. There you go. Um, I believe at a uh, a WWF pay-per-view because we used to go to his house because he would have, get the WWF pay-per-view since we were under a strict like one pay-per-view a month at most limit. And we were a WCW house. So we'd go there. And I remember getting put in a figure four by this uh, this kid. And then even worse, being put into a sharpshooter. I have intermittent lower back problems that seem to flare up maybe once a year. And I still wonder if it all stems back to that, uh, that afternoon where I was put in a sharpshooter. I used to climb on top of the dresser. So no, that, that uh, there's nothing there is nothing that starts with I used to climb on top of the dresser <laughs> that can ever end well. Yeah, like so I'm standing on top of the dresser as a child and like I am near the ceiling. Uh <laughs> like my I'm di- I'm crouching down and I'm I'm a small kid and I'm still crouching down because I'm that close to the ceiling and I would leap off of the dresser onto my little brother to drop the macho man esque flying elbow off the top. Uh, I did that a few times before uh, my parents swapped out a wrestling buddy for my little brother. And uh, those WWF wrestling buddies became my, I was dropping elbows on them instead. There you go. Just like the commercial would tell you to do that. Also just brought back a memory of me as a kid um, running. And this is because seeing someone do a somersault on wrestling, running into my room, like the length of the hallway (laughs) leading into the room, running into my room and doing a full flying somersault onto my bed and the bed just collapsed. I always, and and I was not a large kid. Like I was a, (laughs) I was a normal to below normal size kid. And yet I snapped the boards on this uh, admittedly pretty small and probably not the most well-constructed bed that used to be like part of a bunk bed set. Um, but that was, uh, was not good. It was like snapping the boards on a wrestling ring, I guess. I always laugh. I'm like, it's a miracle that anybody made it out of the seventies <laughs> and the eighties. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that these like any children, children any children made it out of the eighties alive. This was, it, yeah, it's nuts when you think back to well, it. I remember just quick aside, but that's kind of what we're doing right now. I remember not, I, I think it was like a year or two before me in I guess it would have been in chemistry class or science class, whatever it was in sixth grade. So first, uh, first year of junior high, hearing stories that just a year or two prior, one of the things they had you do, like a little like in-class lab, 
you would dip your hands in vats of mercury. Oh God! <laughs> to see how the mercury reacted. Like they might as well have had them huffing asbestos while they were at it. Like, Extra it credit. In- yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is incredible that any of us survived. Uh, the you know, if you were an eighties kid. All right, even in the early night, like I think of shop class. Uh, my God, how any of us still came out of that with all 10 fingers is a miracle. Uh, we had to check in on the health, well-being, and uh, for a guy who needed a miracle, and it was Mike Graham. He was still down, still being attended to in the back, and Jim Garvin, uh, you know him as gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Uh, Jim Jimmy Garvin. Jam Garvin. Jimmy Jam Garvin. This is... Uh, uh, Mr. Serious Jim Garvin sitting down to join Gordon at the desk. He says he just I got an update. He's got this an update. Was, the doctors are still with Mike Graham. Uh, he recaps what, what happened in case you just tuned in. Talks about the two thrusts to the throat getting choked out. And uh, Gordon is concerned here. And uh, yeah, very, uh, uh, you know, he's, Gordon's doing a great job listening and and being concerned as as Jimmy Garvin's explaining what's going on in the back. He calls it a tragic situation, Gordon says. Um, This segment with Jim Garvin and Gordon Sully sitting at the desk talking about what happened to Mike Graham while also talking about how Jim Garvin is just kind of passing back through Florida on his way to Tokyo. Um, This, If you want to show someone how wrestling was different back in the day this little throwaway segment could be what i would show them it's so different from anything you would ever see on anything approaching a modern television show it's so much more authentic and real uh and grounded than anything you would see uh this might be my favorite jim garvin thing i've ever seen he was so likable here just as a guy from Florida coming back home for a few weeks. He says, it's just so nice to see all my friends. I might, I might watch some of the matches before I go, uh, before I go to Tokyo. He jokes about the Michigan snow. He'd been wrestling in Michigan and Ohio. And that doesn't really work. It's not for him. It's (laughs) not for him. Um, It was just, I just thought this was such an endearing little segment that reminded me of on top of the outlandishness and the, the physicality of pro wrestling, things like this were what endeared pro wrestling to me as a young child. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, it was great to talk, you know, here's a little character profile, get to know Jim Garvin or get to re introduce yourself to him. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, recap the major angle. That's been the through line of the entire show in a very organic way. In a very, like, yeah, hey, I'm out here to give you an update, give everyone an update, and Gordon's learning about it real time. You know, the last yes. update Gordon got was via the phone call earlier. So this, he was he was into it and very, uh, very concerned and, and, and learning about it like the fans were at the same time. So, yeah, great segment. Um, we then go to the ring for an even better segment. Hacksaw Butch Reed. Versus an unnamed jobber. <laughs> yes, I have it written the exact same way. Unnamed jobber. The unnamed jobber doesn't matter, though, because... Does not matter. This... Gordon Soley, with maybe the most accurate statement of his life, describes Butch Reed as one of the finest men I've ever known. And if you've never seen prime, healthy, pre-knee injuries Butch Reed, 
run to see this version of Butch Reed because my God, he is a singularly unique wrestler. He has so much natural charisma, a big dude, an incredible legitimate athlete and his agility. He hits immediately three incredible drop kicks and he's just so light on his feet. Uh, wow. Butch Reed. Yeah. Go. So you, you can see him in a quick squash here. You can go back to the, uh, the mid South show we did, uh, yes. earlier where, uh, we got to see Butch Reed on promos as part of a major angle. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, those two are good, uh, pre starting to break down Butch Reed's, um, he looked so good here. He's a flying cross body. He gets the immediate win. I, my takeaway, we talked about this when we saw Rocky Johnson on a few of those yes. old WWF shows. My thought here seeing Butch Reed is it is hardcore promotional malpractice to not have this Butch Reed as the face of your company and the champion, the guy in your company. And much like with Rocky Johnson, it speaks to how if other societal issues had not been in place at the time, and if there had been, dare I say, a level playing field, a guy like Butch Reed, or as uh, inexplicably Gordon Silly calls him Bruce Reed a few, few times here, like there's no reason, there's no good reason that Butch Reed isn't the guy in 1982 in any promotion in the country, if not the world. Oh, hands down. And there's no mystery why his match with Ric Flair was probably oh. the best match that Dave Meltzer had seen up to that point. Because Could you imagine this Butch Reed yeah. that we saw for 30 seconds here against 1982 Ric Flair? It had to be incredible. I mean, you you mentioned the drop kicks to start the match. Like Nobody's starting matches in 1982 with like three fast drop kicks especially uh, not guys the size of butch no, reed no he dances a little bit showing some charisma and then hits that high cross body but it's it's an aggressive cross body it's yes. not just like the it's guy's running block. into you he's running into you with the cross body to get the pin this was an awesome squash and uh if you saw this, you're like, I need to see more Butch Reed. Uh, yeah. Well, if you saw this, it's, I need to buy a ticket for wherever Butch Reed is going to be. Yeah, like, exactly. Right now, I need to go. I need to hop in my car and go to Sarasota to see this man, Butch Reed, go after Ric Flair in the NWA World Heavyweight title. Um, it, it was one of those squashes where you both love it and, and are frustrated at the same time. It's so great that it's such a quick squash. And then you're also like, man. I wish we could have gotten five more minutes of that, which is exactly the point. And the show closes with a duration match. <laughs> a different description we've heard before of a curfew match, yeah. <laughs> uh, a standby match, a TV time remaining match. This is a duration match. It is Gran Apollo. El Gran Apollo teaming with Terry Allen, a young future Magnum T.A., he uh he does not have the permed mullet, but whatever effort he he neglected to put in in terms of not growing a mullet, he put that extra effort into overperming this perm. Wow, and a mustache. This is a uh, he in some ways looks more Magnum TA than he ever did. Their opponents Don Diamond and Cyclone Negro. Cyclone and Diamond they they spend most of the match double teaming on Allen. I'm disappointed in you, Jeremy. I just have to say it. I thought the first thing you would say about this match 
would be righteous indignation about how Terry Allen and Don Diamond opponents here were uh, the, dressed like tag team partners. The ex- I know, and and I was I was mad, but then I was <laughs> like, maybe it's not as egregious. Maybe it's just the copy of the video that we have here. No, but it's they're wearing the same short yellow trunks. It's it's like the same shade of gold. <laughs> like, yes, yes, the uh, same boots. Everything. No, I literally the 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 beginning of my notes I had mixed them up because uh, <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh no, that's not Alan, that's Diamond. But yeah, because they are wearing the same gear, it's absolutely offensive. That have uh, have a quick conversation about it now. Maybe they didn't know they were going to wrestle until the last minute here as a duration of filling time. But uh, that I, I yeah, this is this is an abomination. The two guys would be wearing the exact same shades of gold and the exact same look uh, as opponents. Horrible. Uh, we, sh- we should also mention this match almost entirely exists uh, for Gordon Sully to recap what happened earlier uh, with Mike Graham getting choked, hemorrhaging, as he said, blood. We also have, and this was something I did not expect, future NWA owner and manager of Big Daddy Yum Yum briefly at New Japan Pro Wrestling, Bruce Tharp joins Gordon Sully uh, for an update where they actually cut away from the action and take the camera to the desk to get this update where Bruce Tharp says that, uh, uh, that Mike Graham has been rushed to the hospital with, quote, serious injuries. Apollo gets the hot tag and he runs wild. He, El Gran Apollo. Really good babyface fire. I don't know yeah. who this guy is, but uh, looking good here. Uh, all four men get in the ring as TV time runs out. The I loved start uh, rolling. Well, before that, I just want to talk about how great Gordon Soley was at the end of this match as, uh, as Apollo uh, is running wild. His call, it's like he's calling the Kentucky Derby. It's the only way I can describe it is fantastic. Yeah, the credits are rolling. Uh, they're, they're still wrestling and fighting in the background. And then all of a sudden, uh, Diamond tries to slam Allen, but Apollo drop kicks his partner, who lands on top of Diamond. Terry Allen gets the pin. So we did get a finish before <laughs> yes. the match went off the air. So apparently the duration included the credits, and they got this finish right under the TV time remaining time limit. Uh, I was not expecting that. I was rewarded for watching all the way to the end. I thought Magnum TA, or I should say Terry Allen, I thought he looked great here. He obviously wasn't what he would be a few years later, but his selling was awesome. Like you could see this was a guy uh, beyond, you know, the level uh, of the other guys he was in the ring with. I also loved finding out that Gordon Sully's wardrobe was provided by Giorgio's Gents Clothing Store, which I spent way too much time trying to find out about, and I cannot. Uh, the closest thing I've seen is there's a Giorgio's of Palm Beach luxury men's and women's Italian made clothing, but I don't know if that's Giorgio's gents. I don't know, but yeah, I, I noticed that as well. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, very, very fun, very 80s show. Uh, the only thing that would have made it better was uh, if we had commercials, but yes. uh, the, no, this was uh, super fun and it's, it's a, it's a treat to go to Championship Wrestling from Florida. I think this is uh, you know between 
the two TV shows we saw and the Battle of the Belts that we also reviewed. Yes, with that uh, early great Muda as the ninja. Yeah, I, I mean, Florida, the Florida Territory would have been my favorite, I think. Uh, yeah. I would have, if I was coming up, if I was, if I had like access to If you were Florida, like Dave and you somehow had access and like... <laughs> he had some sort of streaming service that no one else had in the 80s and he was able to watch everything yeah if i if i, if I had like family that had like you know grandparents that i would visit that lived in florida and got to watch florida wrestling i would be coming back telling all my friends in chicago about how much better wrestling is down in florida <laughs> yeah this would have been uh would have been i think my favorite wrestling around the country yeah i'm right there with you i think maybe with the exception of mid-south which i find holds up every bit as much as it did um, you know, when I first watched it as a very young child. To me, Florida is right there with it. And in some ways, it feels almost even more vibrant. And, and I would say the thing it has undoubtedly over Mid-South is Gordon Soli on commentary. Like as good as uh, Bill Watts was at hitting his points and getting the, the storylines over, uh, there's nothing that's better than prime Gordon Soli guiding you through an hour of really vivid vibrant 80s pro wrestling television and yeah i i think of any of these territories we've gone back and watched i think i would agree that florida's been my favorite yeah it's so good and uh all of the clips we talked about uh, of course uh, are on that social media it's twitter at wrestle at random same for instagram facebook.com slash wrestling at random uh, you can get the entire back catalog. We mentioned a few of the shows uh, where we reviewed past uh, uh, past Championship Wrestling from Florida episodes. Those are all available in the back catalog of this podcast. It's evergreen content. It's waiting for you. If you haven't listened to it yet, you can go back and listen to it now. It is brand new, just like it came out. Evergreen content for free in the back catalog. WrestlingAtRandom.com has all of the episodes. And if you want bonus content, if you're like, dude, I already listened to those. I wish that you had more <laughs> new content. Well, we do. We have a bonus content feed where every single week we're pumping out additional episodes. There you can subscribe via Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There you can, for $5, you can unlock the entire back catalog. 60-some episodes at this point of the recording. Uh, of additional content waiting for you over there. If you're in your Apple podcast feed, click the subscribe button. And for that $5 for the month, it unlocks the entire back catalog right there in your Apple podcast feed or whatever paywall that we're currently behind as of the time of you listening to this. There you just sign up once it unlocks everything. You can binge as much as you want in that month. Uh, you have access to all of it if you're on Patreon, you can also bump up to the tier where it lets you be the randomizer. You can request a show for us to watch, and uh, we've got a lot of fun examples and, and episodes in the in the bonus feed of plenty of our, our patron supporters who have requ requested uh, a whole, whole, like, a bunch of different uh, types of shows, and, and so you can enjoy all of that content uh, over at patreon.com slash wrestling at random or in your apple podcast feed yeah absolutely and to your point as far as the variety of content on the bonus feed if you think that we go all over the place from week to week uh, whether it be in terms of region territory country 
decade. If you think we go all over the place on the free feed, uh, just wait till you see the variety of stuff we have on the bonus content. Uh, there's some crazy stuff. There's some weird stuff. There's some of the best matches in wrestling history. Uh, we've reviewed all of it over there, and it's yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. We're going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Randomizer. I have no problem uh, with it ever bringing us back to Florida. Uh, and thank you, Gordon Soley. Man, Gordon Soley, the best. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you again next time.